Eddie, so good to talk to you. And I ask everybody this thing, um, how old were you and where were you that um, music started, you know, being a thing for you? I think love of music, I had a couple uncles, I was the oldest of the, the kids, but I had a couple uncles who, uh, you know, I'd, I'd steal their Beatles records. I remember stealing Yellow Submarine, Woodstock, had a lot of stuff. So that was, I was five or six, mm -hmm. and in the basement we had a turntable and they had like Sly Family Stone and all the Motown stuff, and I think I just started singing to those records. And So you started singing first? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, I picked up a guitar when I was about 12. And so, what? How did? Where did the road, you know, lead you here? Uh, well, I I kind of toughed it out for a bit, and at one point, I gave myself a certain amount of years to kind of do something as a as a musician, and and played in bands here and there, and and got better at it, and then um, ended up in Seattle in eighty. Now, how'd you go out to Seattle? A friend of mine, a good friend of mine. Um, Got an offer to play drums in a band up there, and they said, "By the way, do you know any singers?" And and he threw me a tape, recorded on a four track, that morning like three songs and sent them off and never thought anything about it. And then um, a couple of weeks later, they flew me up to Seattle and we started playing together. And you know, it's funny because we we've been listening to that stuff recently because we put out some of that early demo stuff and and I hadn't heard it since what 18 years ago or something. And and um, it was. Interesting to hear, almost terrifying, because I don't really remember spending more than three or four hours on these three songs and recording them in background vocals or whatever. But it was probably in the end. You know, I look to where I have a family now, and I get to travel, and my life's been really quite full. I, I think of it as like the best life I've ever lived um, so far. And and I think, wow, that was an important three or four hours. Yeah. I didn't realize it at the time, yeah. which is probably good, but this history.
So it begins. Greetings. Welcome to All That Sacred, an official podcast for the Pearl Jam fan. This is the 71st episode in a collector series, and I am your host, Donnie. Broadcasting today from a bit of a fog of nostalgia. You know, that's what we are on this podcast. We're nostalgic. We're looking back. We look back days and weeks and often years, but typically... It's built around an idea or a theme or a particular time and place, but I've taken the opportunity here recently to take a step back from all that and kind of look at the bigger picture, look at everything in its totality, because if you listen to this podcast, you're a fan of this band, and you don't need me to patronize you and recount the entire history of the band. You know the stories, um, and you know that we have a big, big date coming up, October 22nd. The 20th anniversary of the very first show of Pearl Jam. They weren't even Pearl Jam then, they were Mookie Blaylock. You know, all that Eddie was talking about there at the beginning of the podcast during an interview with David Lynch, because, uh, you know, there's no way he'd sit down with me and record something. <laughs> so uh, I lifted that from the internet. You've probably heard it before, but it kind of encapsulates really nicely the very early history of this band. And, you know, how Eddie came to get that demo tape, record his vocals over it, send it to Seattle. They brought him up. And, you know, within a week of them doing this marathon songwriting session, they had laid the foundation of what would become 10. And they're so excited about this musical output, they decided to play a show, which is just unheard of. Played a show at the off-ramp on October 22nd, 1990, under the name Mookie Blaylock. And that's a big date. And to me, that's the 20th anniversary, you know. And the band doesn't seem, the band and the, the apparatus around them don't seem to want to recognize that until next year. And that's fine, but we're going to get the party started. And even before us. Uh, sites like twofeetthick.com we're writing these awesome pieces about the history of the band and so they're getting the party started early so um, 
Uh, this is perpetuated by an email from a very forward-thinking listener to the podcast. This guy, Steve Travis, sent me this email way back in July, and he said that we should commemorate the band and this day by playing 20 live tracks from each year in the band's history. So that's what we're going to do. And, um, you know, let's just get into it here because we got a ton of music to play. I want to keep the momentum going because, you know, in the early part of the band, at least me, was uh, really all about, like, (laughs) just hard and aggressive music. And, you know they've gotten away from that some they've matured and that's awesome but um a lot of this music that we're going to play today just really seems to encapsulate you know what the band at least meant to me in the beginning and um wasn't lucky enough to uh see them super early on i think it was 90 well i don't think i know (laughs) when the first time i saw the band was in 1994 um but I wasn't aware of them from the very beginning. You know, I wasn't a product of Seattle. But once they got national attention and I was there, I mean, I was hook, line, and sinker. They had me at hello, whatever you want to say. I was a fan. And, um, you know, they released 10 in August 91. And by the end of that year, they were getting enough attention. They were sharing bills with the likes of Nirvana and Red Hot Chili Peppers. It actually culminated in a show with those three bands on the bill on New Year's Eve 1991 at the Cow Palace in Daly City, California. It was a pretty great show. Pearl Jam only played a 30-minute set to start the show, and you could already get a sense of the budding rivalry between Pearl Jam and uh, Nirvana as they introduced the song that we're going to play. Poking a little fun at uh, Nirvana and their hit single that was out at the time. Um, and then from there, we're going to play another song. So back to back, 91 song and a 92 song. And the 92 song is uh, from a pretty historic show that year. Um, Pearl Jam blew up. I would say 92 would be kind of like the year that Pearl Jam blew up. Uh, that's not a stretch to say. And uh, started off playing clubs in Europe blowing up everywhere by the time they got home they were huge and uh later in the year they're playing major festivals in europe and uh, one was a pretty historic show at the pink pop fest 1992 and um you know if you're an old timer old collector you remember the old european um not bootlegs but uh official releases uh, this european import single so it was an official release by Sony. It was manufactured overseas. Cost as much as a regular album. Had a single track on it. And a couple of B-sides. If you were lucky. Typically there are new songs to you, the listener. Like uh, uh, Alone and Yellow Lead Better and Dirty Frank and that kind of thing. When the Ocean single came out, had live tracks on it. At the time that I bought it, I had never seen Pearl Jam live yet. But I had heard all this stuff. You got to see them live. They're awesome. They're better than the album. And I'm thinking, no way. Because, like, you know, typically nobody's better. You know, a lot of musicians, a lot of really famous, well-known musicians are not better than the album just because of, you know, audio wizardry, wizardry in the studio and that kind of thing. But I got this thing, and there was three tracks from Pink Pop 92 on the Ocean single, Alive, Deep, and uh, Why Go. And, yeah, it was 
more powerful and greater and more angst-ridden and everything else and way more intense than anything on that studio album. And I thought, maybe the rumors are true. I gotta see these guys live someday. So, just in my own Pearl Jam history, that CD single means a lot to me. So we're gonna play a track off of that. So, enough chit-chat for me to start things here. Uh, We got a lot to play today. Ten years, ten songs. Um, So, let's get it going here. 1991 track, New Year's Eve 1991. Daily City, California, a uh, little porch into deep from Pink Pop 1992. Oh, that's him, Mike. Come on, I don't think. We gotta give it to him now. They can't wait any longer. Just by looking. Here we are now. Entertain us. Don't be stupid. It's our favorite band, that's all. Just remember, we played it first. (laughs) All right, this would be much happier if only one more thing were true. That would be if Bill Graham were here. So here's to Bill. Happy New Year, everybody. One, two, three, four. What the fuck is this world? One and two here today. Leave a message this time Couldn't your voice one last time Take my this good Be my time by you Would you hit me? Would you hit me?
Well, I talked enough to start the podcast today, so let's keep the momentum going here. Play these next songs for you uh, without much commentary to introduce, other than to say, uh, going to play another two back to back from the 93 and 94. And in my opinion, um, I think I think Eddie's a better singer now. But I have to tell you, 93-94, I think that's like the most powerful his voice was. Um, just, I, I, and, I mean, he had to quit singing like this because if he continued that, he would be a mute uh, today. There's no way you can sustain that. <laughs> I mean, he would basically just scream his freaking lungs out every night. But it was very intense, very powerful. And, um, you know, it's just he, he just had it honed in after so many years, you know, 92, especially 93, 94. Just consistently on the road. The band was super tight, um, playing all their songs off of 10 and verses and um, just really on top of their game as a touring band and definitely at the height of their popularity. It was in 94 that I finally saw the guys live. Uh, if you want to hear that story recounted, go back and listen to podcasts number 38, I think. But um, if you think tickets are tough to get now, <laughs> I challenge you to remember what it was like back in 93, 94 in that time period. It sucked. It was tough. Things got dramatically better in 95 with uh, 10 Club ticketing. So uh, let's play some songs from those years. Uh, I've specifically been targeting um, songs that we haven't played on the podcast in a while for the most part. I mean, obviously, we played Porch not too long ago and Alive. Um, but a couple versus tracks we haven't played in a while are Animal and Rearview Mirror. And... Um, you know, I've also been trying to target bootlegs and shows that uh, never been featured on the podcast. And uh, as such, uh, we're going to play a song, Animal, uh, from 93. It's the first show. I think it's might be Animal's Maiden Voyage. It's from the May 13th show in 1993 in San Francisco. At a club, it was a secret show. Uh, the guys were kind of testing out some of the new material that they've been working on for so long in the uh, studio. Recording verses. And then uh, from there, we're going to play Rearview Mirror from a show in 1994 uh, that I'd never heard, listened to anything of before. And um, it's obviously uh, never been featured on the podcast before. And uh, it's from the March 20th show, 1994 in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So just something a little different. Um, but, uh, you know, still kicks ass and still great representation of this whole time period. So uh, I said I wasn't going to talk much to introduce these songs. So how's that for a brief introduction? All right, I'll shut up. Let's get going. Or let's continue to go. We've already gotten to go. Got going? Shut up, Donnie.
was the one who couldn't keep a secret.
I think one thing that's notable about that last song for me uh, is uh, when they played that live in Atlanta, 94, which is uh, my first show. Yeah, pretty lucky guy there. But uh, it's one of the first songs I remember seeing Eddie playing the guitar and singing at the same time. So, you, you know, from the get-go, very, very early in this band, you saw an evolution and a desire to challenge themselves in new ways and and uh, just grow and mature. And you just kind of got the sense if they could survive all this craziness around them, that uh, they would survive and be around for a long, long time. And it's just awesome here you know 16 years from that date at least to 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 know that that's happened and played out like that and it's been better than i ever could have imagined it would have been way back then but there are a lot of tumultuous times in between and right here right now in this time period on the timeline playing one song from every year from 90 to 2000 a day um you know it's right in the midst of that and but there are still some fun things and even outside the music there is some cool evolution going on at the end of 94 the last show they played was in new york city after their saturday night live appearance and it was a fan club only show the only way you could get tickets was through the fan club how would you like that no i don't i don't think they've done that much since they did do something similar to that in their start in 95 but it was even better than a fan club only show they just if memory serves me correct around seattle if you were in the fan club they just sent you tickets and we're like hey there's a show here's some tickets see you there it was at the moor um <laughs> and that was on february 5th and 6th 1995 it was also the introduction to the fan base to mr jack irons who had Replace Dave Abruzzese behind the kit. And, um, you know, that was a crucial thing in the band, not just in terms of their sound, but in terms of how they communicated. And a real turning point, I think. I mean, I think it's obvious now that there was a real turning point in the band and them being able to, to be able to better communicate amongst themselves and grow as people and artists and musicians and collaborators especially so anyway without further ado let's play another song uh we still got a lot more to go we're only on 95 so let's play a song from that show on february 6 in 1995 the fan club invitation only show at the moor here in seattle and um play a song that's relevant to uh what was going on musically at the time and one that hasn't been featured on the podcast in a while, and that's the tune Whippin'.
So I, I don't know if you remember, but uh, had the occasion to talk to Dave Cruz and some time ago back on podcast number 59 and 61. I think it was on 61 where we got to talk to him about what he had been up to since he left Pearl Jam. Uh, and he was telling me about an incident when he was in Hovercraft, which was a band that was uh, started by Eddie and his wife Beth and somebody else. Um Dave actually replaced Eddie as a member in that band playing drums. And uh, I think Hovercraft opened some shows for Pearl Jam and some other things. And anyway, when Pearl Jam was done playing their tour in 96, it ended in Europe. And I guess Eddie still had the itch to play and be on stage and play music and songs and that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know what the rest of the guys were doing, but Eddie... uh, played a couple club dates in Italy, recruited Hovercraft to play with them. There was one on December 4th of 1996. And um, I think they, the write-up said it was like 250 people. After I had interviewed Dave, I told him at the time, I didn't remember reading anything about that. Like it had flown under my radar. And then somebody sent me a link to an old write-up in the concert chronology at, uh, well, it's not a, now at two feet thick, but at the time, it was part of Five Horizons, and it and it seemed to, uh, you know, uh, seemed to stir something in me to remind me, like, oh yeah, I think I read something about that, but I don't remember hearing any audio. So ever since that point, I just kind of been keeping my eye open to see if I could ever unearth some audio from that, and I found. Uh, a bootleg from that show and it's pretty cool um in addition to playing a bunch of covers eddie also played some pearl jam songs some of which were kind of radically reworked i think mfc very very early early version of msc was played at that show um but some of the other pearl jam standards at the time were totally reworked and sounded nothing like you know what was on the album and uh, even what they'd ever played live before um, and so I thought it'd be cool to play one of those, something different, and certainly, you know, nothing like anything we've ever featured on the podcast before. So I think out of everything we're playing today, the audio quality is probably the most suspect on this track. But given, you know, just the rarity and uniqueness of it, uh, you know, you're just it's worth tolerating because it's pretty cool. So this is Corduroy from that night. Again, Eddie and just two friends, one on bass, one on drums, some friends of his from Italy. And um, it's been radically reworked and almost sounds to me like if Corduroy were a police song or something like that. But it's pretty cool nonetheless. And uh, anyway, I'll play that for you now. Hope you dig it. Push me and I will resist 
Absolutely nothing's changed Stick my hand Now my picture Spill my tincture I don't wanna take what you can give So definitely something different there, and I always love getting stuff like that on the podcast that's uh, flying under a lot of people's radar. I know many of you guys are probably huge collectors, have heard that track uh, a ton of times over the years, but uh, maybe you haven't heard it in a while, and I'm hoping a lot of you guys have never heard it. That's always the best thing. I want to get to introduce somebody to something brand new on the podcast. So that was our track from 96. We're going to move on to 97 and 98, and in doing so, we're going to just kind of skip No Code, um, because we just featured it like two podcasts ago, played the entire album No Code, recreated the album No Code using live tracks, and, you know, I just hate being so, you know, too repetitive on the podcast, so... um, and plus, I got these other tracks that I found for these years, and I just want to play them instead. They're both pretty awesome. If you remember, in late, late 97, pretty much the only thing going on that year was the band opening for the Rolling Stones four nights in a row in Oakland, and a couple nights before the first night that they did that, they played a surprise show, a secret show. I think it was pretty secret, um, if memory serves. I have to go back to twofeetthick.com and look through the uh, concert chronology notes. But um, well, I'm not. It doesn't matter where it was. I think it was in Santa Cruz, but we're not playing a track from that secret night anyway. Gonna play one from one of these Oakland gigs, and uh, it was on November 19th, 1997, to be exact. 
and uh, it's a pretty awesome track. It's one of the first times they ever performed Given to Fly. So all the Yield material is brand new, and I think they're still working on the album. And, uh, you know, uh, some of the Yield songs weren't written yet, but Given to Fly was. They performed that along with a few others, and it immediately resonated with just about everybody and had everybody stoked to hear this new album and um, at least I remember that just kind of being the buzz around the fan base and it definitely uh, you know got my attention from the very first time I heard it so uh, we're going to play Given to Fly next pretty awesome version from uh, that show on November 19th 97 and then on to our 98 track Guy guys had an awesome tour in 1998 uh, very long, played a ton of places, and uh, in support of Yield, which is like probably their most successful album in a long time, it was kind of first uh, Pearl Jam's first big uh, resurgence, if you will, after the success of Ten and Verses, and it kind of waned a little bit on Vitology and definitely No Code. Uh, by the time they were recording No Code, it almost seems like the guys were in career self-sabotage, and I think they'll even admit that as much anymore, you know, releasing who you are um as the first single on the album's release and that kind of thing so you know yield was like a big record a big turning point for them and uh so play given to fly from 97 kind of the premiere of some of these songs and then on to the 98 track at the end of the tour they close with this another kind of surprise show uh returning the favor and opening for a band that had opened for them couple nights on the tour and that's cheap trick cheap trick was playing at the crocodile cafe pearl jam opened for them rick nelson of cheap trick actually introduced them and uh got that too um as an introduction to that song after given to fly uh it's pretty awesome and they you'll get to hear how they kick that night off uh their short set to uh open for cheap trick at the crocodile cafe can't imagine what that must have been like um, but they open with MFC and it's just an outstanding version. So uh, let's get on to it and play those these songs for you. Given to Fly from Oakland, 1997. MFC uh, opening for Cheap Trick on October 10th, 1998. Always love Thursday night. If you want to know uh, who was here last night, out of all y'all, just look for the people coughing and sneezing. And I went to Dr. Mountain. And, uh, it was so fucking crazy last night. This is just actually a relief. It's so beautiful out tonight. Really. And we're going to take advantage of the, the fact that there's no roof on the place and play this song called uh, uh, Give It a Fly.
Okay, so uh, we're in the home stretch here. We're just about done. In fact, uh, I thought 99 was going to be the last year. This was just going to be the 90s podcast, and then next week we were going to pick up on 2000 and go from there. But uh going to pull a bit of an audible on myself, and I'm actually going to play you two, two 2000 tracks, one to end today and one to start next week. The one to end today... It's a little bit of a downer. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that right now. The one to start next week um, was funner and more uplifting. And uh, so we're going to start the podcast right next week. So I hate to pull this late audible for you. Hate to possibly end the podcast on a bit of a down note. But um, you'll understand. And uh, I'll talk about it here in a minute. But before I get to that, we still got... A 99, a 1999 track to play. And like 97, 1999 was a pretty slow year for Pearl Jam. Wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on. Um, And pretty much the only show that they played all year was the Bridge School Benefit. That was it. They played two nights at Bridge. And uh, we played um, some songs from one of those nights a couple podcasts ago when we were playing stuff that was just all Bridge. And uh, we're going to play a song from the other show. And uh, I think it's, uh, hold on a second, I got it right here. Yeah, it's from the show on October 30th, 1999. So that's uh, from the other show. But these were both great shows. Uh, I was there that year. Bridge School is fantastic, fantastic event. And um, I figured this, uh, when I was originally sketching out today's podcast, I uh, figured what better way to end it with uh, a song that uh, they end a lot of shows with, and uh, and that's Yell Ledbetter. They played a pretty cool version of it at Bridge that year. It's supposed to be all acoustic, but uh, I think Mike's, Mike is uh, somewhat plugged in, so maybe Neil was making an, a bit of an allowance for him that year, which uh, they've also premiered Nothing As It Seems, that same year and uh, I don't know any other way to play that song than plugged in so I'm pretty sure Neil was kind of bending his all acoustic rules for Mike that year so uh pretty sweet version of Yell Ledbetter something different and surprisingly we've only played the podcast played on the podcast Yell Ledbetter like one other time before so it's high time we get it on here again and uh, we'll do that for you here now and then we'll be back to close out today's podcast with a 2000 track and um just a few quick words from me so uh i hope uh hope you dig it we'll be uh we'll be right back after this next song
Thanks a lot. Tom Williams, for that man. So, um, as promised, I am back to end today's podcast with a 2000 song. Um, and it is a bit of a downer, but not entirely. Uh, but it's just something that I wanted to do and uh, talk about for a minute. And, you know, this podcast is intensely personal sometimes, not just for me, but I mean, I'm always amazed what people are willing to share about their life experiences and how it relates to this band and the music of this band and their experiences as a fan and uh it's just a cool thing and and uh and in turn you know this podcast has almost become at times an extension of my personality and uh and I don't regret that at all and people seem to resonate with that it seems to resonate with people and I think that's what makes this podcast special it's it's about sharing it is about the fan experience it's about us as much as it is anything and um and so when we play this music and stuff it it has a certain connection that everybody can relate to and it's not just like background noise because i mean let's be honest you can get this music anywhere i mean there's a million different avenues you know be it pearljambootlegs.org or pearljamradio or grammy.net i mean those are awesome resources that i utilize all the time in putting this thing together you know, but I would truly strive to make this thing special and have it mean something, you know, and, um, and it means a lot to me. I think, I think that's obvious. <laughs> Sometimes it probably means too much to me and at times in the past, especially. So, um, so what am I getting to? Um, uh, well, what I want to say first is thanks so much for tuning in you know, week after week, and thanks for all the contributions and suggestions and stuff like that. I mean, I can't over ever overstate that. Um, but, uh, you know, this week was like, I really wanted to make it special. It's the first week in this two-parter, and we're going to lead up to the 20th anniversary, and so I just wanted to be, like, concise and fully on my game, and I don't feel like I totally was. I, uh, I the first recorded part, like my audio commentary. I think I re- it took me like an hour just to record that five minutes or whatever, just because I was just being super hypercritical and wanted it to sound perfect. And and I decided to just lower your standards <laughs> and just go with it. And if it just is so so, then it's just so so because. I kind of got a lot on my mind right now. Uh, hasn't been the greatest couple of days for me. A couple of days ago, um, it wasn't totally unexpected, but my grandma, uh, who I've talked about on this podcast before, who is a really special lady to me, uh, finally you know, lost her battle with pancreatic cancer. And she went peacefully and her, you know, was kind of in her sleep. Um, <clears throat> she was all medicated up so she wasn't experiencing any pain or anything like that and uh it was really kind of a blessing and it was actually a super cool thing it was a a double blessing in a way because her diagnosis was two years ago and usually when you're diagnosed with pancreatic cancer it's almost like an instant death sentence i mean you're lucky to get a couple of months and it was almost to the point where everybody was like did they 
these doctors even get it right? And, you know, unfortunately they did. It just took a while to catch up to her. And when it did, it, it went pretty fast. And so that's a blessing that she didn't sit around and suffer for a long time. Um, but I mean, we got two years, you know, with her and we all knew what the, the outcome was. And, um, I personally like, I'm so grateful for that time. And, uh, it's just been really special. And you get, I got the opportunity to do something with her that I didn't get to do with my granddad, who was her husband. Um, and when I talked about both of them before, I forget what podcast it was, but, um, I was going back a ways. He died really suddenly, ironically, of pancreatic cancer. And, you know, people know things. Like, I know, like, he knew that I cared about him. I know my grandma, you know, knew that I cared about her. But, I mean, you know, the gift of two years, knowing, you know, after this diagnosis, you know, I really got to take the opportunity and, like, let her know undoubtedly, you know, what she meant to me and um you know the the influence that she had on my life and that's like a huge gift so um i mean i'm actually pretty happy to have had that opportunity and uh, happy for the last two years and happy that you know she had that for her had some closure and uh and when she, when things took a turn for the worse, it was quick and painless and pretty peaceful. And so uh, it's I it's kind of I, I don't want to end today like oh it's so depressing blah, blah blah you know and I'm so sad it's that but yeah it's it's also a celebration too. And I have again I have talked about her on this podcast before. And uh, I'm really blown away at the outpouring of condolences from you guys, like other fans of the band, listeners of this podcast, and friends of mine, either on Twitter or on Facebook. Like, this is not a big surprise to you um, that that uh, that this happened, and probably not a big surprise that I'm talking about it. But thank you. I mean, your words are, have been a huge comfort to me. And uh, I just can't say, you know, thank you enough. So, um, but we're going to end today playing a song in dedication of my grandma and not just in recognition of her passing, but in celebration of her life because she was a tiny lady. <laughs> she was like the biggest, you know, she was like the shortest giant I've ever met. I mean, she's like four foot something and change you know, and pretty frail woman, but she was a huge personality and a huge influence in the, the lives of the people that knew her and loved her. And so, you know, we're all richer having had her in our lives. So it's like a celebration of her. And um, I wanted to play a song in recognition of that. I got a, a Facebook message <laughs> from a guy, I think it was Andy in the UK, saying I should play Come Back. Uh, and, uh, I don't think I can handle that, <laughs> but, um, but we are going to play light years because it is a song about someone passing and the confusion and the sadness of that person passing. But ultimately what I take away from that song is it's about somebody being thankful for having had that person 
in their life and it's a ultimately a celebration of that person you know with with lines like um you know your lights reflected now reflected from afar we were but stones your light made us stars and that truly is the way that i feel about my grandma and uh perfect you know sentiment to end today's podcast on given where i am just like emotionally and mentally and stuff right now and i found a killer version from nuremberg in 2000 so that's how we're going to end it today i appreciate you guys allowing me the opportunity to ramble i I hope i didn't bore you to death or make you cry (laughs) so uh let's end it here play this for my grandma Uh, You have been listening to this 71st installment of All That Sacred Unofficial Podcast for the Pearl Jam Fan. I'm your host, Donnie, and until next time, cheers.